Good morning. I'm going to start this morning in prayer. Uh, you know, I had a moment during the worship service, so I, I think I need to say this. You ever have a moment where you're singing something and it reminds you of a bunch of things? You ever do that? You ever do that in the car sometimes? So the, the song we sang before the last one, which I totally did not check that Aaron was going to do, uh, the O for a Thousand Tongues song, was like my dad's favorite song. And if you're familiar with old wor- like older worship music, there was this one CD, this, this CD by this band. It's, I don't even know if you call it a band. It was a cappella. So that's, it's like pentonics for you younger people, okay? It's like pentonics of Christian music. So it was like glad they would sing O for a Thousand Tongues and they do these cool harmonies and everything like that. I think that is one of those moments that we all need to have. We're going to have some of those moments during this series. So one of those moments for me was after the first week of this series, I heard about men walking up to the other men and saying, I need, I need to be led. I need help. And that was the most exciting thing that I've had happen in a long time. I was just really excited about that moment. And I'll always remember that first week of the series because of that one reason. Because that's the hardest thing to do your man, you know, to go up to another man, I really need to be led, I, I, I need help. And so I'm just excited to see what God's going to do through this series. Today we're going to be talking about leadership, specific roles in leadership in the church, but I, I want you to know that every single thing that I'm going to mention today is actually for the whole church. It's for everyone that follows Jesus. It's not just for certain leaders. So let me pray to get us started. Heavenly Father, We just come before you, we just ask, just like that last song was saying, that your Holy Spirit would come here, convict us, transform us as we read your word, change us so that we have, we have aspire, we we, we long to be leaders, lead in, in our homes, in our community, in the church, help us to be be a family, a church filled with people that genuinely desire to pursue Jesus with all that they are. So help us today as we look at overseers and, and deacons, God, help us to see that really both of those places and roles in the church, we all can aspire to be. We all can aspire to have the character that is described in this passage God, help us to think through that this week, process that, and make steps to build our character in the future. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, we're in the middle of a a series called Letters to Leaders. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. And as we continue this, this, this leadership that Paul describes is focused on character. It's not what we do, it's who we are. And so if you, if, you, if you had a framework, it's not just what you do, it's who you are. Because as we all know, there are times when you go do things with the wrong attitude. I'll use myself as an example. When my wife asks me to take out the recycling in wintertime, I get mad. And I go do it anyways. But that's not the right attitude, right? And so it's not just what we do, it's who we are. The why behind the what. And so if you're following along, you can go to the app, which Aaron really emphasized that, the app. You can click on there, and there's a version event in there. So today we're going to talk about noble aspirations. You aspire, you long to be noble. That's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
But I'm going to show you a video right now, and there may be some laughter, so don't be afraid to laugh in church. I'm going to show you a video showing what some people see when they think of being noble. I know there's audio. Yeah, someone's doing it. son of Uther Pendragon from the castle of Camelot, king of the Britons, defeater of the Saxons, sovereign of all England. Pull the other one. I am, and this is my trusty servant Patsy. We have ridden the length and breadth of the land in search of knights who will join me in my court at Camelot. I must speak with your lord and master. What, ridden on a horse? Yes. You're using coconuts. What? You've got two empty halves of coconut and you're banging them together. So? We have ridden since the snows of winter covered this land. Through the kingdom of Mercia, through... Where'd you get the coconuts? We found them. Found them? Some people, when you pursue character, are think you're going to think you're two coconuts short, okay? If you know what I'm saying. So people are going to think that you're pursuing character and they can't see it. Character is something you can't see, right? You don't know what the intent in someone else's head is. So sometimes people are going to think you're like King Arthur there, riding up with coconuts, which if you didn't know, that's Monty Python, okay? So those of you that have seen Monty Python know that they argue about swallows right after that. It's another pointless conversation. And so character development is not about pointless conversations. We learned that last week. We know that, that character development takes time. And so... Paul in 1 Timothy 3 describes noble aspirations. You should desire to be a knight. You know, you see that clip and you think, okay, they're hitting coconuts together. It's pretty hilarious, right? It's like, uh, do they realize how funny they look? Do they realize that's what other people may think about you? But the reality is, when God sees your character, it's completely different than that. And these aspirations to be nobility are for character qualities that can't be shown on a spreadsheet or on a computer. When you have a job or you're in school, you're tested on things. A character test is not a test that you want to run into because a test of your character is when hard things happen and how you respond to those things. It's not just when things are going okay. So you, ha you have to realize that there's, there's a little bit more going on. And so turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. I think it's really important to note that all of these character qualifications are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible to apply to every single believer. So if you're like, don't check out because you're like, oh, well, this is for overseers or this is for deacons. This is for everybody. It just says that these roles have to be, have these character qualities. So starting in verse 1, it says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if he does not how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he may... Be, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Before I actually go through this, like, you notice that last part there? That the snare of the devil is disgrace? How many times do we turn on the news and a pastor's done something? Like, it's like, it, there's something. They embezzled money. They did something. There is a lot packed in here. Every single one of us should realize that that could happen to us and so this passage talks about two types of leaders in the church. There's, there's overseers or elders, and actually the, it could be translated bishops. So if you guys want to start calling me Bishop John, I'll totally go for that. No, I'm kidding. Just call me John. And then there's deacons, which deacons is actually a term used to, to talk about servants or someone that serves a community or group of people. And so just like 1 Timothy chapter 1 last week, Paul says this saying is trustworthy. It's worthy of your trust. There's certain people that are not trustworthy in your life. Has there been anyone that you have had say something to you that, again, you're like, that's not what really happened? Of course. Paul's saying this is worthy of your trust. Everything that you do, this is worthy of your trust. And so this role overlaps with elder. These qualifications are really for all of us. And so men and women, as we look at this, this is not just for positions of leadership in the church. And, and I want you to know something that's really important. When we read scripture, I think sometimes we get lost on, on some of the, the, the very clear details that are here. There's a lot of knots. But I'm going to talk about the knots and then what are we to be? Because, because when, we're, when you have... Kids, one of the things with kids, you tell them not to do something, what do they do? They go and do it, right? And so let's not focus as much on that because there's things we're not supposed to be, but it's clear there's things we are supposed to be. And so from this list in, in the beginning of the chapter, it's clear that God is looking for leaders with character, not just competency. You're not just good at something. You have character behind what you're doing. It's not, it, it's not about... What you do, it's about who you are, and that's what's so important. And so I'm going to divide these qualifications of, of overseers, of elders, into three different qualification areas. So there's family qualifications, there's personal qualifications, and then there's public qualifications. And they kind of overlap a little bit, but let's, let's look at the family qualifications first. So we have husband of but one wife. Seems pretty simple, but in our culture it's not anymore. There's a lot of questions regarding this. There's, this is evidence of marital faithfulness. It, we need to be faithful to our spouses. And if you're not married yet, your goal should be to be faithful to your spouse, despite any sickness or poverty. I think the hardest thing to see is, is when people struggle in those areas and they don't realize that marriage is a choice. It's hard. You know, I was just talking to a couple and I'm talking about it, marriage is a choice. Like, you guys aren't going to like each other sometimes. So husband of one wife, it's like you have to be maritally faithful no matter what happens. I grew up in a house where my mom took care of my dad for 30 years because of his health. He was sick. 
He tried to work all the time but couldn't sometimes. Like, like it's, 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 it's a long-term commitment. So then the second part is managing your home well. And so I know men that have been so convicted by this that they just say, I'm never going to be a leader in the church ever. And the, the problem with that is, is, it, is there's, there's more to it than just thinking you manage your house well? Because again, if I was up here saying my house was perfect, you guys should stop me from saying that because no one's house is perfect. It's a, mentioned here is the dignity that is needed to do this. It applies to the entire, entire family. When it talks about children submitting to parents, you ever walk into a house where the parent tells a kid something and they tell them it like seven times and they still don't do it? That's a little bit of a problem, right? Okay, some people are nodding their heads. Okay, so you understand my pain sometimes. But then there's also this idea that things are not wild and uncontrolled. Like just, just chaos. There's, there's this sense that there's, there's some orderliness to it. But also it doesn't apply to adult children. And some people go, oh, anyone, any of your kids? It's like, well, when your kid's 30, are you really responsible for their decisions? Anyone going to say yes? Because that's just, it, it's crazy. Some people think that. And I, I, I don't see that here. But then you have, so that's the home, the family. Then you have personal qualifications because these are applied to the personal, the individual. So sober-minded, because it's mentioned later not to be a drunkard, it's broader than the abuse of alcohol. This is, this is being sober-minded in your dealings with others. And sober-minded is not just being drawn by different emotions like you know, you, you could assume the worst or you could assume the best about someone that you're connected to or, or in uh, dealing with. And then you have self-controlled. I don't think I even need to mention self-controlled because it's the favorite word of First and Second Timothy and Titus. We've heard self-controlled three times the first week of the series, and then we heard it again, and then now we heard it again. It's a holistic describing of your temper, your emotional state, and your use of the created world. When you abuse something, that's not self-controlled. Abuse can be anything. Abuse could be cell phone games. Abuse could be watching too much TV. Abuse could be always taking too much time away from your family. And so there's all kinds of different things. But if you're self-controlled in an area, you're not going to be abusing a substance or a relationship. That is possible. There's this idea of codependence. You can abuse a relationship and it be considered normal. And so those are things that we need to, we need to be thinking about. This next one, not violent but gentle, I, I find it so interesting. It says not violent but gentle. This is one of the few that gives you an exactly, like the thing you're supposed to do, be gentle. Not violent but gentle. This one is hard for men. Can I get an amen? You guys awake? Men, yes. Yes, and when it says violent, I don't mean hitting people. I don't mean physical violence. There's verbal violence. There's emotional violence. Like, there's so many other things. It's hard for us as men to not lash out at someone because of we don't like what they're doing. We don't like, it. there's no place for this idea of domestic violence. Violence begets violence. Have you ever heard that? When I was growing up, my dad always said, like, if you're going to fight someone, they're going to fight you. You know, like there's no, there's no middle ground. So we need to respond to others gently. Usually, men, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to speak for myself, the first thing I think to say when I'm frustrated about something is not gentle. So the second thing I think of is the thing I should say. So there's a pause. You almost have to have a pause of this is the best thing I could say. And then it says not quarrelsome. It's, it's linked to that not violent but gentle. But don't start verbal fights or otherwise. 
I think this is the funniest thing. We die on hills that don't even matter. We, we, we decide to fight for things that don't even matter. Like the, the, the ratio of a TV, oh, this is a 16 by 9 TV, or oh, this is 4K and HD, it's so much better. We fight over things that don't matter. And it's like, why are we doing this? We just quarrel with each other. And you know what's, what's so important about this? Is I know there's this desire within all of us to correct other people when we know they're wrong. But sometimes we don't need to. You ever thought about that? If someone states something that's incorrect, like an incorrect fact, why do we have to be the fact finder? You know, like why are we... If, if, if the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is most important to you, you're not going to quarrel with people over things that don't matter. It's just not going to happen. So and this, there's another one here, not a lover of money. So if you ever see me on a private jet that I purchased because of my salary here, then you need to call me out about this. Because not a lover of money, it's almost like we see these tele-evangelists with tons of money. They're like, you know, money everywhere. Thinking money is this root of prosperity, and the reality is the root and foundation of our prosperity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why you can't love money and God. That's what it says in Matthew. And so you have to realize that these qualifications are for all of us. It's not certain individuals, but if you're going to serve in that role, this definitely has to be true of you. And so the issue there as well is being content. When you love money, you're never going to be content. And it's very clear from Philippians chapter 3 with Paul that you need to be content. It's, it's part of who we are as, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so then you have this public qualifications. These are things for outside the church. Imagine you can do a pretty good job of making everyone in the church think you're an awesome person. Did you know that? It's actually pretty easy. It's very easy. And then you can leave here and you respond and act differently. We had a question in my circle this last week that was, that was the, the question was, as a teen, what did you struggle with morally? And you know what I told the whole circle? I said, I was really two-sided. You know, as a teen, I was like this way around this group of people. I was this way around this group of people. And I started realizing how much that was just tearing me apart. And so... This public qualifications are so important. You shouldn't be different on Sunday morning than you are during the week. You should be the same all the time. And so these, these th oh, actually four. So four. One is being above reproach. So verses two through four outlines what it means to be a Christian leader. So this is an overarching character quality. A being above reproach is the idea that people think highly of you, and it's very much unlike the political climate of our time. I can't say that about anybody I watch on the news. That's kind of sad. There's this idea of being above reproach. And above reproach means if, if someone's reproachable, is basically that they don't have the character that you actually trust. Like if they say something, you don't trust that they really mean it. There's a lack of sincerity like we talked about last week. And so this idea of being above reproach goes into these other qualities. Respectable. It's hard in a shameless culture to be respectable. What is respectable anymore? What's respectable? In the world of reality TV, what is respectable? What, what is respectable? We're called to be respected by others 
And most of all, not just the church. Do people see you and think, I respect that person. I appreciate that person. And then it talks about hospitality, being hospitable. And, and this idea of hospitality is, literally means love of a stranger. And, and I've shared that here before, but are you inviting people into your space? And what I mean by your space, maybe it's not your home, maybe you're meeting them at a coffee shop, but, but where are you inviting them into to serve them? Do you care that people you don't know well are treated well around you? And do you treat them like family? People that maybe others don't treat with dignity or value. Those, those are things that are, it's so hard. I think of hospitality as, as the hardest thing that you could possibly do in your life because you have to take all your preconceived notions about other human beings and how they look and stop prejudging them and just say, I'm going to serve anybody that is in my realm, any area, whatever. And I may even go out of my way to serve someone else that I don't know really well. You know, I've had people ask me, well, should I give money to people on the side of the road or should I give money, you know, yes, that question. Well, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't think ever in the Bible it tells us to be generous only with people that we know they're going to do something good with it. And it's also unwise to give money to people that say, well, I'm just going to go spend it on this. Like, if it's obvious, then that makes sense why you wouldn't. But hospitality is a lot like that. You're not saying, well, this person looks this way, they act this way, they must be this way. Hospitality says, I'm going to help you no matter who you are, and I'm going to give you dignity and value like God gave me first. That's what it says. So able to teach. This idea of using your words and actions to teach others the good news of Jesus Christ. Being able to teach. Think about this. Before a few hundred years ago, people didn't usually sit in a classroom very often. The, the idea of a classroom is, is a very new idea in the world. There used to be people sitting around and hearing stories and, and concepts and talking with each other. And it used to be trades. People would go and they'd learn a trade. You know, 13-year-old boys, be very afraid. Your dad used to send you off hundreds of miles away and you'd never see your family and then you'd become an ironsmith. You know, like the, there was there's this idea that you would actually soak in information. So able to teach is, is both modeling your life but also speaking with your words. So it's actions and words. It's, it's using life as a laboratory to teach others what God has done for you. It's not just, it's not just sometimes, it's all the time. And so that's, that's a little overwhelming sometimes to some of us, realizing that really all that we do is something that someone else can, can, can attach to or, or, or to grow in or act like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to having having relatives, having nieces and nephews and, and, and having kids, they do all the things you do and usually the things you don't want them to. And then they grow up and they're exactly like you and you're like, oh, why? Well, this is telling us why because, because God has called us to be able to teach. We are. We're constantly teaching how we act and interact with each other. We all do this. And then in verse 5, you've got to see this. In verse 5, after all these qualifications, verse 5, there's a very important thing here. Paul asks a question. And I think this is the scariest question for most of us. If you cannot manage your house, how can you manage God's? If that doesn't cause you to pause, I don't know what will. 
If you can't manage your own house, how are you going to manage God's? <sighs> That's hard. That is incredibly hard. But this is Paul's, points, Paul's point here, and this is so important. To manage God's house, you need to start with your own. And when I say house, I'm not, like, if you're single, that's your house. If you're living in a dorm, you're a trying student, that's your house. If you can't manage your house well, you need to start, you need to start there. You can't do it in second. So, men and women, think of it like this. God first, marriage family second, and the rest will fall in line. That's how I've simplified things because I think sometimes we get really complicated. The rest is going to fall in line if those two things are first. If those two things are first, you're not going to have to worry about the third, fourth, fifth thing because it'll make sense. You're going to choose a career that models those first two and you're going to worry about the the rest later. This is an idea of lesser to greater logic. So the idea is if you can't manage your house, how can you manage something greater the house of God. And that, I think that's important for us to understand because there's a lot of things that we think are really big but are not nearly as big as other things. If you can't be trusted with something small and less important, how can you be trusted with something greater and more important? And so be faithful in a little before you're faithful in more. I think the desire sometimes is to run up the ladder quicker. You know, the ladder, the idea of getting a promotion and keep going up the ladder, up the career ladder, and we run to things, and maybe we're not ready for some of those things. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe we haven't been faithful in a little, and we need to be faithful in more. And so Paul has one more qualification for the leaders here. It says, not a recent convert. You notice it doesn't say you need, to be a, you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ for 20 years. You notice it doesn't say, it doesn't give a time. It, it, it talks about a character, like a concept here. As he describes, this will lead to pride in their position. And if you're following Jesus' leadership about sacrificing um, or s- sacrificial love and serving others, you're going to be fine. But then there's also the world's view of significance, importance, and power. If you notice, there's people that are kind of almost drunk on their own power. And if someone's going to be put in a position where they're just like, oh, I'm so powerful in my position, 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 that's why I tell you, this is not about some position of power. This is about leading in the church sacrificially. And so it says it's a noble aspiration because you're not getting much out of it. You know, some people have a title, and maybe you work for someone that has a title, and you're like, wow, how'd they get this title? Because they don't act like what they need to act like. Their competency is really high, but their character is really low, and it doesn't match up. And so we in the church need to flip those. We need to balance those. They need to be balanced. So competency and character need to match. Rather than saying, oh, I'm going to be really good at this, but no one can trust me ethically. There's a, there's a difference here. So this pride needs to be found in Jesus and not yourself. And it's so... You guys saw the clip at the beginning, and it was kind of funny. They're hitting coconuts together and everything, and he's like, well, we've, we got the coconuts. They start arguing about something worthless. That is what leadership feels like sometimes. That's what it feels like. It feels like you're knocking your head against a wall, and you're having all these conversations that don't matter nearly as much as character attributes, which are the intangible. They're the things that, that sometimes we don't see. But I can tell you, when someone makes a character change, like when they change their character, you start noticing. You're like, hmm. Hmm, this is interesting. My boss actually served me today, 
rather than me serve them. You notice leadership in most organizations is the leaders get served by the people under them rather than the leaders actually serve those under them. Ever notice that? There's something upside down about that, and that's very clear about the leadership in the church. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this last section, and instead of going through the section and going through the whole thing, I'm going to go through the differences in this last section with deacons. There's some differences. And the word deacon literally means to serve. It's servant. And so this idea is that there's different people and different roles in the church. All of us have different gifts. If you sat me in front of a computer screen all day doing spreadsheets or accounting, you'd probably have to save me because I'd go crazy after a week. But some of you enjoy that, and it's exciting for you. And so we all have different gifts in the church. We all have different gifts, and they're all worth the same. Don't act like you've got some gift that's so special that no one else has this. It's like there's always going to be more gifts in the church. And so let me go to verse 8. So verse 8, we're going to go through verse 8 through 13. I'm going to read this now. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first and then serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of but one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. So if you aspire to be a leader, it's a good thing. It's not an easy thing. And I'll tell you, there's, there's a lot easier roads. There's a, there's a road of passivity. There's a road of grumbling. There's all these different roads that you can take. But Paul here, when he talks about deacons, he actually, there's some contrast here that I think is interesting that I need to know. So he says, likewise, deacons need to have character. They just need to have character. So I'm going to speak some of the differences. Difference number one, it says they need to have a clear conscience about the revealed truth of Jesus Christ. They need to have a clear conscience. There's this idea that there's a revealed truth that they need to have a clear conscience about. Clear conscience, I would equate that with a peace. Like if someone says something to you and you have a peace about it, you know, the, the idea of having a peace about it, that's what this is. Then there's two, there's a difference. They need to be tested for a period of time. This only means, to be, means, means that they need to be serving in this role in the church. It's like, uh, basically think about it like this. Is this guy serving in the church? You know, this guy would be a good deacon, I think. And Is he serving in the church? Well, no. Oh, I think we can get him to serve, though. That's not how this works. God says character first, and then eventually you have a role. See, it takes time. You have to serve first before you, you move into a role of leadership. It doesn't make sense. It's like you going to your job and saying, I'm not going to do my job, but I want to be the manager. You know, like it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it has no, there's no qualifications there. So difference three, it's addressing the wives of deacons with qualifications. These qualifications are similar to many of the other ones and include faithful in all things. Your wife needs to be faithful if you're going to serve as a deacon in the church. But guess what? Don't we all need to be faithful? It's not, it's not one thing. It's, it's, it, and maybe you're not married. You just need to be faithful. It's the completion of what Genesis tells us. Marriage is two becoming one flesh. 
It's this idea that you together are serving faithfully. It's not just one or the other. Difference number four, it's the potential effects are not negative like the overseer and elder. If you notice at the end of the overseer and elder, it talks about Satan taking over you. It's, it's, it's this idea of, of being under spiritual attack, but they're positive. Verse 13 says, For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. So it's very clear that God calls all of us, all of us, every single one of us, to lead by serving others. It's simple. We need to lead by serving others. There's, not, there's no question that that is God's calling on every single person's life. The problem is, many times we don't do that. I've been, I, I, I really, I've been trying to find ways that I can serve my family better. And I'm not just saying that. I, I really have been trying. And you know what I, I encountered? All my selfish thoughts. Like, man, I'd really like to do this, but I got to do that. Man, I'd really like to do this, but I'm going to do that. And I'm finding that I'm a lot more selfish than I realized in the first place. I thought, man, I'm married. I got four kids. Like, how could I ever be selfish? I got four kids. They just, they need to be taken care of. But then I realized that I wasn't fulfilling that calling as, as much as I'd like to be. And God starts refining your character when you actually think about it. Starts, starts refining your character, molding you more to be like him. So if you're abusing speech, alcohol, or money, God's calling you to more than that. If, if you think that's it, you're going to be sadly mistaken. He's calling you to lead with character. Because, because it's, it's like you take a bite into an apple. And that apple is your character. When you take the bite in, it looks shiny on the outside. And when you take the bite out of it, it's rotten on the inside. You ever eat a bruised apple? gross it's not something you want to have any part with like you want to get rid of it parenting it's not about creating moral rule followers it's about caring for the souls of the children you've had entrusted to you and if you have nieces and nephews or grandchildren it's the same thing marriage is not about manipulating your spouse it's about growing in grace towards each other. It's about developing your character rather than focusing on what they'll do for you. You should be focusing on what you need to be so that you can be the person that they need you to be. It's, it's something that's so different because we're called to serve others. Our greatest goal in serving others is to live sacrificially. It's to live sacrificially. It's to give until you have nothing left. Because then God's going to overflow your cup. He's going to keep giving you more. More energy, more strength. Our greatest goal in, in serving sacrificially is to grow in our character. This includes our family, the church, the community. When we, when we serve sacrificially, when we're serving sacrificially, we're thinking of eternal things rather than what's right in front of us. It's the hardest thing. Because there's a lot of scriptures about managing your house well, right? And so you think, well, I'm not managing my house well if I give away things that we need. Sometimes I wonder what we actually need. I really do. I really do. Because when I look at this, we need more, more people of character than we need people that are just great at things. 
We need people that are willing to, to sacrificially give their time because, because we get lost in us. We get lost in us. So, so what? I'm not going to be an elder or deacon. I'm already bored. Pastor John, you lost me a long time ago. I, so what? Well, here's what's important. God is not looking for you to be good at things. He's looking for you to be a person of character. That's what's more important than anything else. Sure, you're going to be good at things if you're a person of character. You know what you'll get really good at? Caring for other people. You know the most meaningful thing that people care about is you knowing something about them. Who doesn't like to talk about themselves? You'll be good at it. And then secondly, it's to manage God's house. You need to start with your own. I think of it like this. If your home is a small picture of the greater church, how if your home is crazy, are you going to be able to serve in another way? But again, it's not completely under your control. And so when, when we talk about adult children, there's, there's all these complexities to that. But I will tell you, if someone's convicted about that, that's something I'm not going to push them on. If we think, hey, you know, he'd be a really good leader because you're serving in this way. But you're like, I don't really feel like my home life right now I can handle. I'm not going to push you on that because that's a conviction of God. That's not, that's not something that, that we can go around and then, and then lastly, so God calls all of us. Maybe you want to underline all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us. Don't forget that because it's all of us to serve others. It's not, it's not just some of us. It's not just certain people. It's not just deacons and elders. It's, it's everybody. The most meaningful thing that you can do for another person is serve them sacrificially. It's the most meaningful thing you can do. There's many different ways this happens. Sometimes it's out of necessity. Maybe it's a sick parent, a sick family member. Maybe, maybe it's someone with disabilities and that's thrust upon you, the act of service. But I'm telling you now, don't wait for that experience to be able to serve because there's more joy in serving than being served. And we can't forget that. So as, as we, we close today, and talk about letters to leaders. This is not just about here on Sunday morning. I, my greatest joy, like I said, was a couple weeks ago when men are saying, lead me, help me, I need help. Here's what I'm telling you. Go home and think about who you need to serve. What do you need to do? But it's not just about what do you need to do, Right? It's about who we are. So let's ask God this morning to change who we are. To have more character than we have now. To be growing closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would transform us from the inside first. The character that you described in this passage, Lord, that you would change us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. That it wouldn't just be about what we do, but it's about who we are. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus 
died for us, rose again on the third day, and we have life, we have new life because of him. And so, Lord, we pray that over everyone here, everyone listening. Lord, God, we just pray that you would move in a mighty way through your Holy Spirit this week, transform hearts and minds to be more like Jesus Christ. We say all this in his name. Amen.